0: Liz has put down roots in the Bay Area, but is originally from New Hampshire in the Midwest. An Episcopal priest, she serves as rector at the Episcopal Church of the Resurrection in Pleasant Hill, California. Titchener and her husband, Jesse, are raising two young children and continuing to explore the adventure of living, parenting, and serving in their community. Some related passions include running, fine baked goods, growing as many tomatoes as possible, chasing after their puppy, and ethical pranking. Liz is also the author of The Night Lake, a young priest maps the topography of grief. You can learn more about her work as an author at www.liztichner.com. That's www.liztichner.com.
1: Again, everyone, and welcome back to As I Live and Grieve. You're really going to enjoy our guest today. We have with us in our virtual studio the Reverend Liz Titchener. And before I go any further and really get into the content of today's episode, I would like Reverend Liz to give us a little bit of her background. Hi there. Thanks for having
2: me. Um, So uh, I am an Episcopal priest. I serve in Pleasant Hill, California, which is just a little bit east of San Francisco. And my work in in life and in the church has been really formed by my grief. So my mom died by suicide a few months before I was ordained. And about a year later, our infant son Fritz died suddenly and totally unexpectedly. And so this was all, I I I was learning to live with grief at the same time as I was learning to do my job as a priest. And uh, so that was now eight, nine years ago, and um, I'm still learning. Uh, it's still unfolding as I work as a parent and as a priest and all the rest. What what that looks like, how that yeah. how that mm-hmm. plays out.
1: Right. We tell our listeners all the time that everyone grieves differently. That your personal grief and journey through grief is as unique as your fingerprint. It's Hmm. differentiated by not only circumstances, but by your personal age, your relationships, and everything. So even though we may say, oh, I know how that feels, (laughs) well, we may have a fair idea, but not precisely. Now, I would imagine for you, Liz, it has to be really complex to not only be grieving as a mom, losing an infant son, but also as a minister. Because you have to, you're a role model for others. Mm -hmm. You lead a congregation of people. So it's difficult to show truth without showing
2: weakness. Mm. Yes, absolutely. And I think so much of what we are tempted to categorize as weakness is, um, is actually vulnerability that, brings out connection and possibility and help. And it's, gosh, it feels so risky to show that. And um,
1: it's critical. I can can only imagine. Now I discovered, so to speak, or I met Liz as I was searching for potential guests. And one of the methods I use, I hope no one else steals it, but it's (laughs) easy enough. I always look for books, new books that have been published that deal with death, dying, or grief. And uh, Amazon is always my go-to place, as it Hmm. is for many. And one of the books that came up in the search was The Night Lake by Reverend Liz. And when I read the summary, I was awestruck. I Hmm. thought, here we have a priest who lost an infant with no explanation. I have to read this book. And... (laughs) I have to try to get her to be a guest on our podcast. Mm-hmm. So without going into detail that might make it uncomfortable for you, yeah, could you sense. give our listeners a little summary of the story of what happened that mm-hmm. night on the lake? And why were you on a lake?
2: Yes. So I'd finished seminary uh, and my, my first job, or my first jobs, I was splitting my time between two places at a, a parish down in Reno and then at a, Episcopal Camp and Retreat Center up on Lake Tahoe. So we were living, my family and I were living in this little cabin on Lake Tahoe. And at this point, it was my husband, Jesse, our daughter, Alice, who was then two years old, and then our son Fritz was born there. Uh, And when he was uh, 40 days old, he had been not, I mean, he was clearly not feeling great enough so that I took him into the urgent care doctor in town who said he was totally fine, you know, And he didn't, he didn't have a fever. He, I could tell that he was sick, um, but the doctor was not concerned, said, well, we'll do some more tests tomorrow, but don't worry about it. Mm. And uh, he just cried and cried and cried and cried. I finally got him to sleep and laid him down on the bed next to me. And not long after I uh, suspected, I just had this sort of weird sense that he wasn't breathing and do you wake the baby? Do you not wake the baby? This is ridiculous. You should never wake a sleeping baby. But it just, it, it didn't seem right. And so checked and sure enough, he, you know, he was right. He was right there next to me. Um, I had not gone to sleep and he wasn't breathing and my husband did CPR, the paramedics came, everything. And there was, there was just nothing, nothing to be done.
1: Hmm. I, you know, I have to admit we do book and I have it in Kindle And I read that chapter and I read the accounting of that night for you Mm. and for your husband and and even your experience at the hospital with staff and everything. Mm. And I could only imagine. Um, Now, I lost a baby at birth Mm. who was first declared stillborn. Then they said, no, he's alive. And 24 Mm. hours later, he expired. But Mm. I never saw that baby. I never held that baby. So to have an infant that you've been able to bond with has to have been extreme. It's, it's beyond imagining for me. The whole time you were telling the story I've got chills. I just of mm. course can. Of course. Yeah. And I confess I have not been able to get much past that chapter because I am so compelled by that mm. chapter and what you went through. So you published this book and according to publisher sum- summaries and everything like that you talk about moving on through grief. In fact, you even, I think you used an expression, um, you are learning, I won't say have learned, Mm -hmm. but you're learning how to carve out space for the slow labor of learning to live again in grief. And I think I read, I think that's the words of whoever wrote the summary. I don't know if you wrote it yourself or if somebody wrote it for you, but does that make sense to you? Can you explain what that experience is like? How to carve out a space so that you can learn to live again in grief.
2: Hmm. I mean, so I think it, it has taken a lot of different shapes over different periods of time. Early on, I mean, I, I think everything changed. My my ability to carry out simple tasks or stay on top of you know basic responsibilities was it was really challenging. And so early on, I, I think some of the work was totally reorienting myself, my expectation of mm-hmm. what a day might look like, what, um, what, what I might hope to, to quote unquote, accomplish right. over the, you know, what productivity, you know, that maybe this is not actually a time to be productive at all, but to, to learn how to be in my body and how to be present to what had happened in a in a way that i think really for me both required slowing down and also uh well a a huge part of it for me was I, i decided to take up running and wasn't a runner at all but found that that was a way that i could settle in with or be present to grief in a way that just sitting still really didn't work for me. It was overwhelming, I couldn't hack it. But moving, being forced to breathe out on the trail or slowly slogging up big hills, that was a place where I could. um, And I I think too, it, um, it has been a labor of recognizing that it's gonna be different at different seasons, different times, different times of the year hit me in a wildly different way. I'll be totally fine, for lack of a better word, for a long stretch and then just be overwhelmed, caught off guard. Uh, And and I have learned uh, to recognize the patterns and anticipate them over the years, okay. so I can I can be proactive in some ways and setting things up like I'm, I'm actually pretty confident that on his death day, I'm going to need this or, mm-hmm. you know, let's let's clear the decks and make space to go be with a friend or be in the garden or right. I, I suppose in some ways it has been a a work of, of radically reorienting my sense of what I'm supposed to do and how and
0: when. Mm-hmm. I um, like that phrase, radical
1: reorientation, yeah, I like
0: that. How do you I mean, as uh, being a priest, I guess I think that you're you should always be able to provide hope to everyone mm. <laughs> <laughs> how How uh-huh. do you find the strength to provide that hope to others when you yourself might have been struggling with that?
2: Mm. it was really hard for. <laughs>
0: <laughs> I'm not going to say for a while. It, it it's still
2: hard sometimes. Right. Uh, the uh, so the my church works off of a it's it's called the lectionary. It's it's this calendar that most mainline churches share that says you know these are what the readings are for a particular Sunday. Right. And the the readings appointed for this coming Sunday include the very end of the book of Job. Oh. And so basically. In a nutshell, you know, Job's life has just completely been shot through. He's lost everything. Everybody's died. It's been terrible. And now, ta-da! He gets ten new kids and lots of money and cattle and lives happily ever after. I'm just like, this is this is bunk, you know. (laughs) This is like maybe, maybe, okay, maybe he does get lots of new kids and maybe they're fabulous. And that actually doesn't that doesn't fix the fact. Uh, they're not substitutes, they're not replacements. Right. And so I, I guess to your question, Stephanie, I when I come to these places of of really wrestling with the, the day, the holiday, the the reading, whatever it is, I try to be really honest about that. I try to bring the truth of my experience and my story into it because right. anything, anything less than that feels thin to me. And, and I suppose on a deeper level where I, I have been able to offer hope, I think, I, I hope, <laughs> or point to it has been grounded in the reality that we have been so completely surrounded by goodness and joy and just incredible support all the way through, even even at the the very depths of grief, people were showing up to love us and carry us through, and it didn't erase the pain, but people joined us there. and that actually did feel like a, a tremendously hopeful thing.
1: Yeah, kind of that theory about the more people that share your burden makes your burden mm-hmm. a little bit lighter for yourself. It doesn't erase it. Mm-hmm. it makes, but it, it changes it. A little it. Bit lighter. Right. Yeah, it does change it because you know others are there to support you. Now, I have to ask,
2: mm-hmm.
1: did you at any point, you probably know this question's coming, you could probably almost guess, did you at any point yourself lose your faith in God?
2: No, it. Uh, I think my encounter of God changed an awful lot over the course of losing my mom and losing my son. But I didn't subscribe to a theology that says that God steals people away to punish us or God takes them because God might need them for something else or it's part of some greater plan or design that we just don't know. Um, I I had understood God to be Deeply loving and compassionate, and that God weeps with us when terrible things happen. That you know, an a, a, a absolutely loving God would not would not want a baby to die. You know that that doesn't make sense to me. Right. And so it was awful. It was absolutely awful to lose my mom and my son. But it wasn't actually. It didn't their deaths didn't contradict my understanding of God. Yeah. It it
1: brought to mind, um, in my creative mind, I, you know, I'd like to do a t-shirt that says God is not the control freak you think he is, Uh, (laughs) (laughs) you know, because a lot of people have that image of God being supremely in control of everything. And as you say, He wouldn't want us to hurt as deeply as we hurt when we grieve. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, he's not that type of God. So I agree with that. I I have to ask another aspect of that, if you will. Recently, we had a Methodist minister on our podcast uh, for the second time, and we Hmm. asked her to help us understand the difference between spirituality and religion. Hmm. And we kind of came up with a very loose correlation. In that religion usually involves a denomination of some aspect with possibly some certain traditions and everything. But there is a congregation, a community of people involved Mm -hmm. in that religion. Mm -hmm. Spirituality is far more individual and it's possible to be both spiritual and religious at the same time. Mm -hmm. Can you offer any insight into any potential difference between spirituality and religion?
2: Yeah, I'd say that there, there's maybe a Venn diagram there. There's ah. <laughs> plenty of overlap, and I think you can be one or the other and mm-hmm. not both. Right. I think we don't we don't see this as much as the uh, the social pressure to attend church has right. largely fallen away in our country. Yes, but is. I think for a long time, that was just the expectation that sure. everybody goes to church. You have to be seen there, and it's how you were brought so up. I, it's how I right, was brought I- up. And so I think there were probably plenty of people who were there because they were supposed to be and so might have been religious on the surface mm-hmm. in that way. They were attending and practicing, but but maybe not connecting in uh, spiritually in their in their hearts themselves. Right. Um, and I think there there no religion has a monopoly on the holy. I think you can certainly connect with mm-hmm. with God or the cosmos or you know however you want to talk about it on your own. what I have found and and why why I've made this my vocation or my work is that I think it's really hard to do it alone. I think that we need most most of us i i I wouldn't um be so bold as to say all, but I think that most of us need support and and community and fellowship and accountability, we need to be able to do it with more diverse voices than we'd likely find and mm-hmm. seek out on our own. One of the things I, I especially love about my my context, my congregation right now where I'm serving is uh, how wide the political range is. <laughs> it was particularly interesting yes. last year. Yes. Um, hmm. As you know, any any other sphere, social media, or standing in line at you know, the grocery store, or waiting to pick my kids up from wherever I was, I would hear such vitriol being sent in any number of directions.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And so, to be in a community where we were then coming together uh, mm-hmm. and choosing to listen to each other, and love each other, and serve alongside of each other. I think we really need that. And yeah. it's hard to come by uh, other mm-hmm.
1: ways. I, I would agree with that. I would agree with that wholeheartedly. Mm-hmm. So I know, serving as a priest in your church with your congregation, there are times that you are called on when a family has experienced the death of a loved one.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Sometimes it's very easy for us to say, Oh, I know how you feel. <laughs> <laughs> it's not. The right thing to say. But no, no, it we, isn't. We, we reach for it because we don't know what else to say. Hmm. One of our quests in our podcast is to try to find something or some things that you can say to people that will let them know how you feel about what they're experiencing. We, even though we're not part of the ministry, We've not gone to theology, you know, we've not practiced it. We don't know what to say, but we want people to know that we're there for them, that hmm. what they're going through is normal. We just want them to know that. Do you have anything to offer our listeners about something that you might say or words you might use?
2: Hmm. Um. For for when someone has died and yes. speaking to those who are mourning, yeah, like if you um, go to
1: calling hours or something, yeah. you know, we say, "Oh, I'm so sorry." And, yeah, um, and so many of them are just empty platitudes. They
2: really are. Uh, yeah, there's you'll you, you may find some um, some nuggets and and maybe also some <laughs> some laughs. Uh, there's a, a chapter later on in the book that. Um, goes through all kinds of the things that, that come in sympathy cards of people say stuff uh-huh. like that. Um, uh-huh. One one of the things that I have heard from, uh, from friends, from loved ones, rarely, but that has stuck with me is um, it feels at once adjacent to and also uh, entirely different from the I know exactly how you feel. I know just what you're going through, which please <laughs> never ever say to anyone ever. <laughs> yes. um, it's just, it's not possible. It's not true. You have right. like, we have we have no idea what people are actually going through. Um, but uh a number of times I heard people say to me things like I'm trying to imagine what this might be like for you. I'm trying to imagine and it breaks my heart, or you know, this is what I'm feeling. Pu- and I think so often we are—we're so afraid to join people there, even as 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 we love them and want to support them. We're also really scared mm-hmm. of of getting yeah. too close to the death, the grief, whatever. It's con- you know, is this contagious? Am I gonna? Am I gonna catch it? Right, right. And so. Which is, I think, exactly why we offer platitudes. Platitudes are not actually about making the the person mourning feel better. They're about making the speaker feel feel more comfortable. We said something nice and now we can walk away and go about our day. Right. Right. And I think it takes, well, I think, frankly, it takes a lot of courage to actually do the work of imagining, of trying to join them there and let them know that we are trying to join them there. Mm -hmm. It's. Because it is it's you know if if we really stop and imagine it's painful, yeah, and it's frightening to imagine that that could happen to me. I could in an instant, you know the car crash the whatever right
1: i th- I think I think you hit the nail on the head there in our hearts, we're afraid that it'll happen to us, yeah, you know at some time it could very well, but mm-hmm. that fear comes back each time someone we know loses someone,
0: yeah, so I feel like I like when you were telling your story. In my head, I'm thinking I can't even imagine, but mm-hmm. I think we need to switch that. I can't imagine too. As you're telling the story, I'm imagining that happening to me. I'm trying to I'm, imagine, yeah, yeah, I'm, yeah. So I think- because
2: we can't, we actually can. We actually have these right. amazing brains and big hearts. And when we when we throw up the, I can't imagine. It, Just a it's a way of, of keeping distance. Yeah. Right of 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 putting enough space between us and whatever that tragedy yeah, is yeah. that maybe it won't maybe it won't hit in my life right right but then we don't join people yeah. there when when they are in fact there right and it's right. different than saying i know just what we don't know just <laughs> right. we don't know right but we can but we
0: can try to join them right yeah just because i lost my grandmother and you lost your grandmother mm-hmm. It might be similar, who knows but what our, those relationships right were. our relationships yeah. could have been totally different, and yeah, mm-hmm. there's just so many factors there, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. The other thing that i have
2: I have appreciated personally and that I often try to bring to these situations with uh you know when i'm mm-hmm. when I'm pastoring working with people who've lost someone is is asking really asking about the person who has died. Right. what do you remember what did you love about them i don't i don't get that question often about my son right. and in some right. ways it's a challenging one to answer because he was so young right yeah. but when people say tell me about his birth what was he like as a baby i right. it <laughs> it feels like such a gift that they they want to know and right. similarly in my work when i you know people don't necessarily they sometimes they want to and sometimes they don't but sometimes people will just take off and share all these amazing stories of what impact this person had on them or Mm -hmm. what, you know, what funny quirks or, you know, this recipe or that, you know, whatever it was that they are hanging on to. And yeah, making making space for that, I think can, you know, really inviting it can be a gift.
0: Yeah, Yeah. the person mourning. I'm glad that you said that because I wanted to ask you a question, but I was staying back. Mm-hmm. I was like, no, maybe I won't. <laughs> ask. You yes. can ask anything. You have two children. I have two living children. Yeah. Yeah. That's what I was I was like, oh, am I gonna say it that way too? Am How I do I have so much feelings? <laughs> Thank, Thank, you no, Thank you for it's that. Thank you for that. It's so delicate, uh-huh. you know? And it is again yeah. everybody's everybody it's all different, but then summer. Yeah.
2: And I answer it differently in different settings. Right. You know, there are times when people ask me how many kids I have and I'm just like, I, I don't want to get into it right now. <laughs> do I have I, to tell you? I have you? a 10 year old and a six year old. Right. So like, Let's yeah. go on with it. I, yeah, yeah. You're just the be... bank teller. You've yeah. only got
0: two minutes with me. I can't tell you. <laughs> yeah.
2: Which version do you
0: want?
2: I interrupted you. That's go okay.
0: <laughs> so you're two living children. I'm assuming mm-hmm. that you're very open with them. Just, mm-hmm. it's just quickly picking up on your personality yep. about a sibling that they had, but mm-hmm. didn't know. Do you regularly talk with them about him and even your mother too?
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's shifted over time. Yes. I mean, it, it, the 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 uh, most basic answer is that yes, I absolutely talk with them right. about their brother, Fritz, and about my mom. And it's shifted over time. So my daughter was just shy of one year old when my mom died and so i mean right she, she wasn't verbal yet you know right. It was right. she didn't know what was going on but she was yeah. two and a bit when her brother died and she was super super verbal at that point she didn't understand the right. Right. the implications of what had happened she didn't i mean she didn't understand what death was really but she knew she'd had a brother and that now he was gone. And so early on there, I mean, we talked about it all the time. I don't know how many times a day I would tell her the story of her brother dying. That was what she wanted to hear over and over and over and over and over again um, was how he died. And uh, so for years, it was this very central theme of conversation both when Alice was young and, you know, figuring things out for uh, those earlier years. And then uh, when our son Sam was born. uh, So he was born, I don't know, a year and change after Fritz died. So then by the time Sam got to be two, three in there, he started asking all these questions. He wanted to hear all these stories. You know, Mm he would see Fritz's picture, we'd uh, have cake on his birthday, uh, there's a tree planted for him, all these different ways of connecting in. And so it's been a real, it's been a real process of trying to yeah. figure out how to, um, how to help them know their brother, how to help them understand what it means to be family and what it means right. to right. be connected through uh, or beyond death. And then, and then, similarly for their uh, for their grandma. Um, I it took me a while to tell them to to figure out for myself how I wanted to talk with them about the fact that she died by suicide right, and right. had this history of alcoholisms, a complicated death. But I decided I actually really did want them to to know that to know I didn't want it to be a secret. Right, I didn't want right. you know them to you know they're teenagers and somehow i don't know google or whatever find right. out what actually happened and then and then i mean i think the message that comes is this we don't talk about this this right. is it's off a limits secret. right it's, it's a, secret. a secret right i really yeah. really didn't want that and so have tried to be open with them about that sort of giving more information as they get older uh, and also trying yeah. to <laughs> it, my daughter asked me what what a hashtag uh what that means the other day and and I <laughs> so I explain you know at least originally' it was this way to you know search for things on social media, yeah, but thinking about it now i I feel like some of how I try to help them know their grandma is by offering these sort of verbal hashtags as we go through life. It's mm-hmm. like, hashtag Grandma Susan, you know, like, oh, I love this recipe. Oh, that was your grandma's. Yeah. Or she mm-hmm. taught me how to do this. Or I think you get this from her. And just sort of adding this this narration or captions to help them know yeah. what it is that they right. receive from and her. And they have a uh, connection. Yeah. 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 That's
1: That's nice.
2: The other thing that I did, I don't know where this idea came from, but when we were cleaning out her house uh just after she died, it popped into my mind to try to collect a whole bunch of things that could be gifts to, at that point, just my daughter. She was the only mm-hmm. one, but I thought, hopefully we'll have another kid that we could give them over the years. And so gathered this huge Rubbermaid tub full of Kinds of you know toys and books and art supplies and and so they get a present they get a gift from their from you know quote unquote their grandma on their birthdays and at Christmas I love that I love that it it feels and at this point like we I think at my daughter's most recent birthday there's just I don't know there's a million things going on and I forgot and a couple days later she's like where is (laughs) my (laughs) present Like, yeah. i mean she was uh, polite she, but she was like isn't yeah. there something and um i was just so delighted that yeah. she was looking right. forward to that right. and, i um, love that idea yeah.
1: i really really do oh. that should be a children's book i'm sorry mm. but you have another book in you <laughs> um, <laughs> do you do you have any signs for her lack of a better thing for a lot of people it's a cardinal we had a guest on our podcast that wrote a delightful children's book about remembering people that have died uh, called the Fox and the Feather. And it's about Mm. finding a sign that will connect you to that person that you can remember. Do you, are there any signs in Mm. your days like a cardinal or a feather or something?
2: Not exactly. No, not a specific thing. I don't think. But I love that that works for some folks, or that that it comes, I guess, arrives.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Good. Good. Okay. Super. Uh, We've explored a lot about your book and your experience, but I have to confess. I looked at the website and I was reading your bios. Mm -hmm. And I understand that I don't have the exact degree, but you have a master's in ethics. And then in another bio, I read that one of the things you like to do is ethical pranking so i have
2: to ask Reverend Liz, <laughs> what's up what's up with that um, what's up? Well, I, so i i do i love a really good practical joke and so many so many pranks so many practical jokes are unkind they're about yes. making people look and feel foolish uh, or, right. you know, be the butt of the joke that everybody else gets to, Exactly. Uh, or, you know, destroying stuff or um, I don't know, you know, wasting a bunch you know, spending a bunch of money to do something. Mm-hmm. And right. so, so I have over time tried to come up with sort of what are the tenets of mm-hmm. ethical as I've created sort of a manifesto of ethical yeah. pranking, <laughs> things like it, you know, You've got to be able to clean it. The pranker has to be able to clean it up. It needs to not destroy anything or hurt anyone. Right. Um, it's not, it's not making fun of and Everybody right. gets to enjoy it and laugh right. at it. Things like that. And nice. That's just, nice. That is yeah, a I, joyful thing. Yeah, I,
1: I, I like it. And does your congregation get to experience any of your ethical pranks? Uh, say there around are... April Fool's
2: Day. <laughs> <laughs> well, so this past this past year, gosh, what a weird year to to be uh, well doing any kind of work. But uh, as it turned out, April Fool's Day fell on maundy Thursday, which is the, okay. the Thursday yeah. leading up yep. to Easter. Uh huh. A very uh, a very important holy day in the year, yes. but it was also this important holy day of April Fool's Day, yes. a very important holiday to me. And so uh, at, the, at the time, given all the restrictions and whatnot, we uh, we were not gathering in person. We were live streaming our services, but we were allowed by by the county and state guidelines to have this tiny skeleton team. There were, I don't know, five or six of us Alone in the sanctuary, distanced and all the rest to create the live stream to send out. And so uh, I did, I I confess, I did hide rubber snakes uh, sort of all like in the sound booth and (laughs) on the lectern and on the organ. And the most wonderful part of it was that somebody found them and quickly re-hid one of them to to get <laughs> to me you. I did not see until after the service began <laughs> and so had to work really pretty hard to um not be cracking up all throughout this <laughs> very holy day there's a rubber snake it. sitting I there looking it. at me. I love it. I love it. Oh my goodness. Gotta gotta find joy where we right. can, you know?
1: Absolutely, absolutely. Unfortunately our time is about up. But before we wrap up, Reverend Liz, I would like to offer you a few moments, alone with our audience, so to speak, without Stephanie or I asking Mm -hmm. questions, guiding the dialogue, just a few moments that you can speak directly to our audience, whether it be through prayer, whether it be through a message, anything you would like to say.
2: I suppose what I would would want to offer to close with is the encouragement to to settle in wherever you are with your grief, whatever rises, whether it is, you know, wrestling deep, deep in, in the questions and the uncertainty of how, uh, how life is going to unfold in the wake of whatever loss it is, or in, in the joy that catches us off guard and in being allowed to laugh and actually feel good sometimes in the middle of it. Also, I think sometimes we we get the message that if we're mourning, we should be really consistently mourning. And, and yet I think the joy surprises us. It shows up unbidden, unexpected, but it comes. And to let that, let that be also.
1: Very nice. Beautiful words, yep. beautiful words. Okay, well, again, sadly, I, I always hate wrap ups <laughs> because it means I have to say farewell. We've loved having you as a guest. I could speak to you for hours, literally.
2: Thank you. And
1: we appreciate so much that you were willing to share your story. I do hope that people will consider reading your book, whether they purchase it, whether they look at it for the library. And if the library doesn't have it, maybe buy it and donate it to the library Mm -hmm. so it can reach people. Um, Just the small piece of it that I have read is very powerful, and I have no doubt at all that the rest of it will be as compelling. So until next week, listeners, thanks so much for tuning in. Thank you again, Reverend Liz, and everyone, take care of yourselves as we all continue to live in grief.
0: Thank you so much for listening with us today. Do you have a topic that you'd like us to cover, or do you have a question from one of our episodes? please email us at info at asiliveandgrieve.com and let us know. We hope you will find a moment to leave a review, send an email, and share with others. Join us next time as we continue to live and grieve together.